We're back in the letter to Titus this morning, if you'd like to go ahead and turn to that. Uh, before we get to today's material, if you recall from last week, we kind of set the foundation for all of this, what I called legacy living. Paul, remember, is writing to Titus, and he wants to share with Titus and the Christians there in Crete some important information and information regarding how they conduct themselves and how they should conduct themselves to the world around them, and then obviously from one generation to the next, and that's what we'll get into today. We started in verse 1 of chapter 1. The goal for all of this is godliness. Another way to put it, God-likeness. Those who belong to God are to reflect the character of God, and the way that we do this is by living according to how Paul describes here in Titus 2. Then we went on and talked about our motivation. What is our motivation? What keeps us going? The first one there, our salvation, looking at the cross and looking for all that we've been rescued from. And then secondly, our motivation, our hope of Christ's return or what we've been rescued to. And that led us into what we'll get in today here, our assignment. Each of us in the church body, young and old, has a special job to do. And Paul outlines those assignments starting here in chapter 2. Let's go ahead and look at verse 10 of chapter 1. Remember I told you last week, kind of doing a disservice by, by numbering these and splitting them into chapters. The paragraph that I want to start with is in verse number 10 of chapter 1. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things that they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holy, holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That's where we'll stop our reading for now. I heard a stat that the anti-aging industry here in the United States, and by that what I mean by those who either help you from getting old, what we'd like to think help us from getting old, or those that try to reverse the process, the anti-aging industry is a $100 billion a year industry. And while the world around us tells us that getting old is a bad thing, if you actually look at what Paul says and how the Bible itself portrays reaching old age, it's actually portrayed as being a fruitful time, a time that we can now return back to others the knowledge and wisdom and discernment and balance that you've gleaned from truth and from a faith, a life of faith and uh, of life itself. In Psalm 92, 14, some of you may be familiar with this. It may sound familiar to you. David writes, they shall still bring forth fruit in their old age. I don't know if any of you know the last part of that one. They shall still bring forth fruit in their old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. Uh, the second part of that verse, maybe some of us are still trying to avoid, which isn't a bad thing. But the point is, old age, old, the old age is a time of flourishing. As we'll see here in Titus 2, so if you want to look there, as we, as we look here in Titus 2, older age really isn't about preserving what we once had. 
Instead, Paul is going to, and really God, he wants us to rethink not only the opportunities that we have, but the personal obligations and responsibilities that come with older age. So we don't, we don't attempt to resist old age. Right? We're not trying to resist old age, and we're definitely not trying to reverse the process of old age. Instead, we're, we're called really to maximize the wisdom that we've been taught, as well as our trial-tested faith, things that we've gone through, for the glory of God and the good for others. I started reading our passage here in chapter one to kind of remind you what Paul is contrasting, what we're gonna see here in Titus two, what he's contrasting that with. Remember, this is written to Crete and to the Cretans. And remember, he describes them as being things like lazy, they're liars, they're greedy for money. That's an important one. If you remember the list that I talked about, things, the ways that we can identify truth. A lot of those things focused on being self-centered, you know, greedy, uh, looking for, great, for gain. Those things are directly talked about here in this passage. I just mentioned greedy for gain. What we're talking about, the, the Cretans, they, they had a desire for a life of comfort and ease. Uh, you hear a lot, especially in today's world, about passive income. I work really hard when I'm young. I do certain things so that I can have passive income. What are people saying? I want to sit on my backside and do nothing while money pours into my bank account. Again, it's not very different from what we're encountering, what we encounter much in our culture today. So something else too that what was very interesting towards the end of chapter one, Paul calls them, they have really what he's saying, they have dirty minds and rebellious hearts. Again, I think something that can relate to what the world, much of what the world we live in today as well. So he says, all of those things about these people in chapter one, and then now look at chapter two. The start of chapter two begins, but as for you, Titus, contrary to what all these false teachers are teaching you or the way in which this world around you is living, the people in this world are living, but as for you, Titus, you're different. The believers in the church were to be different. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound. The word here for sound is clean, pure, holy. Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now, notice the, the last phrase, fitting for sound doctrine. Paul doesn't confront the false teachers by just rehashing to Titus what sound doctrine is. What he's actually doing here, he's going to spell out for them what is fitting, what befits how a Christian should behave, what is appropriate for sound doctrine. This is what the character of a true believer should be. Just real quick on this, a, a word on this. I talked about this last week again, about us going through tri trials and understanding what God's doing through those trials. This is what he's doing. He's trying to change your character. So when you're going through a difficult time, the thought naturally for us, it is, why is God doing this? What, what should I learn from this? Instead, just persevere, carry on through, trust God. What I have found is when I then look back, I look back and I see, oh man, my character changed in that way. So as Paul begins here in chapter two, he tells us how we should behave, what is fitting. And who does he address first? He addresses, he begins with the older men. I'll get this out of the way because if uh, there's a chance, we've already joked about this, but there's a chance that you'll kind of miss everything or not really be paying attention. If you're sitting there wondering who exactly are old men, and for, for this, you actually go back to Greek culture and some of the Greek writings from when Paul was writing here. The age that he's talking about 
men who have reached the age of 50. So I don't know if that encourages some of you or discourages some of you. I didn't call you old, Paul did. So we'll leave it at that there. First one there, first one, verse two, that the aged men be sober. Don't miss the first part, by the way, of this, that the aged men be. In other words, it's possible for you to be older and not be these things, this list that we're getting into. In other words, just because you're an older Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you're a godly Christian or that you, are, that you have reached the end of what you should be. It doesn't, even, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that I've arrived. Just like the others that we'll mention here, older men and older women, they're, they're expected too to continue to grow. They're expected to grow and mature in these areas as well. Uh, and the first area mentioned is described as being sober or what we'll talk about as being temperate. By the way, don't get confused here because those of you that maybe have read on there in our reading, you heard this. The word temperate that's mentioned there in the King James in a couple words, it's a different Greek word. And I'll get to that in just a few moments here. The original word here that we're describing actually came to mean someone who is in control of their passions, their words, and their actions. Later, it's actually used to describe someone who's free from addictions. And those addictions could be things that are like destructive in general or as specific as things like pornography or drugs. Paul's already described here the, the, the Cretans, as I mentioned before, as being really, just frank, being dirty old men. And their minds and their consciences, if you look at verse number 15 of chapter 1, their minds and their consciences have been defiled. Now, he's saying to these older men, they live this way now. Let's show them what it actually means to be a Christian and how to live. Let's show what it means to be sound doctrine, what it means to be wholesome, to be uncontaminated, to be healthy, not physically, but healthy spiritually. Next word there, grave, grave. Notice what he adds to the next list there. The aged men are to be grave or another way that you can put it here, dignified. You older men should be worthy of respect. You should be serious minded. Now, this doesn't mean that like you need to be a killjoy. Like, we don't laugh at anything type of thing. But it does mean that you refrain from maybe laughing at wrong behavior. I think about, like, sim silly. Some of you have had teenagers. Maybe you remember when you were a teenager. Remember a time where you went to school with people. Like, silly and immature boys laugh at silly things. They laugh at dirty jokes. They laugh at wrong behavior. That's immature behavior. Godly men, they've truly grown up. There is a depth to their character. Remember, if you would, back in chapter 1, the, the Cretans, I said they, they didn't want to work. They wanted to live a life of luxury. They wanted to have all their needs met. And when these, this didn't happen, they threw temper tantrums. That's the behavior of an adolescent. That's an immature person. Paul is saying to these Cretan Christians, show your culture what it means to actually act your age. We as men, we want respect. We, we want others to respect us, not for what we have, we want people to respect us for our character. Us as Christians, we want them to respect us for our godly character. Next, the old men are to be temperate. Temperate. This is the only term, actually, that Paul uses for multiple groups. He will come back and use this as well for young women. He will use this for young men. And he will actually, down in verse number 12, he tells the whole family to live soberly. Some of you uh, have heard maybe this Greek word, sophron. 
so from. We'll, uh, we'll, like I said, talk more about that in the coming weeks here. We're talking here about living with soundness of mind, right? And body that shows up in a self-disciplined lifestyle. And we can apply that a lot of different ways. Uh, in other words, you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You don't do the right thing just because you've been told to do it. Again, that's what adolescents do. I do this just because I'm under this person's authority and I have to do it. No, there's a self-discipline here. In other words, let me go back. This is part of your character. I just do what I'm supposed to do or I don't do what I'm, what I'm not supposed to do because it is part of my character that has been grown in me. This is not something that I muster up. This is something that God does in me, but there is on my part a yes, I will do what is right. No, I will deny myself and not do what is not right. Finally, men are to be, older men are to be sound in faith, sound in charity, and sound in patience. The word sound again here, older men are to be wholesome first and sound in their faith. This is an ongoing relationship with God. Second, sound in charity. That's the word agape, we all know. Their love for others, their relationships with others. They are to be wholesome in their relationships with others. And then finally, sound in patience. Another word that you can use there is perseverance. I find this very interesting. Old men are to be committed. They are to persevere in what? Persevere in their relationship with God and persevere in their relationship with others. Those of you who are older, you, you understand this, but life would be so much easier if we didn't have to deal with people. And it takes some maturity to deal with people who are immature. It takes some maturity to deal with people who don't think biblically, who don't respond biblically. Paul is saying to these older men, older men, you have to be growing and have that strong relationship, wholesome, healthy, remember, relationship with God and that wholesome and healthy relationship with others. And you need to be able to persevere in those things. So first and foremost, we need to understand that we are to, as older men, throw away, get rid of. What, what we, we need to know what to get rid of, and we need to know what to keep. Next, Paul turns his attention here. Let's go ahead and move on to older women. Verse number three, look at verse number three. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, by the way, not given to much wine. Not give, it's not, not given too much wine. All right, okay? Not given too much wine. And teachers of good things. Much like these men, I, I, guess, I guess we should probably go ahead and start uh, and address who exactly qualifies here as an older woman. The context, if we keep reading, and as we'll talk about next week, Paul is really focusing on married women. Right? It's a little bit broader than, than the men. She's old enough to have raised children. Like she has full grown. Another way, maybe better to put this, is she could be an in empty nester. And really, frankly, the older the better. They have perspective. They've seen. They're, they've able to, to see what matters, just like the older men. So let's look here. Four distinctives, two positive and two negative. Verse number three, that they be in behavior as becoming ho becometh holiness. This is actually a unique word that's used here that means reverence. It means a reverence demeanor. In other words, their demeanor, their behavior is appropriate to someone who's carrying out sacred duties. They aren't, for instance, chasing fashion. They aren't chasing what the world says is beauty. These women, they've really figured out that their greatest contribution to the church and to this world 
is really not their physical attributes, but their spiritual attributes. Next one here, not false accusers. Not false accusers. This is the first of two negatives. In other words, this is, can be actually be translated, not malicious gossips. Not malicious gossips. In other words, they refuse to tear people down. Instead, they choose to build people up. By the way here, it's kind of interesting here, but the word actually translates she-devil. She-devil. The masculine of it is only referred to, the masculine form of this word is only referred to the devil in the New Testament. And what does the devil, what is the, one of the primary things that the devil does with the saints? Accuses the saints, right? And that really is at the heart of what gossip is. One more thing, let me make a note real quick about gossip, because everybody, as soon as you mention this, everybody always thinks, oh my word, do I, do I gossip? And I would say, I've noticed, that gossips, gossips enjoy telling other gossips news. However, if you aren't a gossip, other gossips, they stop telling you things. Like, they'll come test you out, but people who aren't gossips, it ends there, and you don't act very interested in it, and it's not fun for the gossip, and so they stop telling you gossips. So I would say you can self-assess on this. Okay, the third distinctive here, the third distinctive, not given to much wine. Uh, the last phrase that we talked about being malicious gossip, that's what's coming out of your mouth, and now we're talking about what goes into your mouth. It literally means to be enslaved, but it can, never, it, it can actually be broadened outside. We can broaden this outside of alcoholism. Really, any habit that encroaches upon holy living by the way, it could be something that's not necessarily evil. Uh, John Bunyan, I heard this. John Bunyan, the writer, author of Pilgrim's Progress, he said, I had to give up cricket become, because it became too much of a love. Some of you can relate, maybe. No. <laughs> you apply it whatever you. And it could be a sport. It could be an activity. If it's something that's encroaching upon your assigned duties of what God tells you to do or your relationship with God, it, needs to be, it, it, be, it has become an addiction. And the godly woman depends on the Holy Spirit to fulfill what she needs to do, not on something to give her a high or to give her fulfillment or to give her a sense of reality or to help her escape. Last one here in verse 3. Teachers of good things. There is a ripple effect to a godly woman's behavior. Important to note here, by the way, when we talk about teachers... This is both, this word implies both formal and informal training. So being a good example is good. I know a lot of people, well, they'll see, me, they'll see my actions and see what I do and don't see what I do. And, you know, that's the way that I, that I minister to other people. And that's a start, but that's not what this is just referring to. This is also formal settings, having conversations with people, interacting with others, setting times aside and meeting together and talking about spiritual things, doing a book study, um, having a prayer time. That's what we're talking about here. So godly women described here in verse number three, these women have earned the right to speak because of their behavior. They've earned the right to mentor others. They've earned the right to disciple and to pattern what it means to follow Christ. As a matter of fact, we're, we're going to see in the next week their teaching roles really go, go well beyond just living out godly character or making a comment here or there. These women, these older women, they're really going to serve an important role. And I'll mention this again next week. But if you look through this list, 
he tells Titus, Paul tells Titus, you need to teach the older men, you need to teach the older women, you need to teach the young men, you need to teach the bond slaves. He does not tell Titus, you need to teach the young women. He says to Titus, you need to teach the older women and the older women need to teach the younger women. And I don't think that that's really like a throwaway. I think, especially for, I'm speaking maybe as in ignorance here, but I have heard older women, when their children are grown, especially for the women who have really invested, they don't really work outside the home, like they're calling their job that they felt like was raising their children. And now their children are gone and it's like, there is a void here. I don't really know what's my purpose here. I, you know, I, I, this is your purpose. This is not just your family that you're raising. This is the next generation as well. And so as, we see ne- as we'll see next week, these women serve a very important role. So in summary, we need older men and we need older women in our churches who are mature in their faith, who they possess an understanding of what it means to be holy. They live out sound living, healthy, spiritual, wholesome living. And they're really just, I mean, they're a godly example, both in their word and their deed, of what it means to saved, to grow and mature in the faith. But then also our context for the Cretans, so that the unsaved world around looks and says, you all are different. You point me to Christ. You point me to God here.